0: You're listening to the Carbilline Tech Service Podcast. I'm Jack Walker. I'm a senior tech service engineer. With me, as always, is the director of tech service, Paula Jamis. How's it going, Paul? It's
1: going great, Jack. How are you doing today? You know, I feel like we
0: introduce this show the same way every time. And one of the things that we always say is when we have a guest with us, we always say it's a very special episode. And, And that is true most of the time. But, like, what do you say when it's a special, like, special episode? I mean, when you get one of the most... Knowledgeable men in the entire coatings industry who's groaning at me the entire time that I'm saying this right now. <laughs> it's it's hard to uh, to measure that level of of excitement when you got a guy who's from out of state who you've captured held against his will and brought him upstairs to talk to you about one of the most misunderstood things in the entire coding industry. So if you haven't figured it out by now, I gave you one clue, but we are lucky and privileged enough to be joined today by one Mr. Paul Kennington. How's it going, Paul?
2: All right. Thank you for having me. That introduction, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, in tech service, we get this question all the time coating thickness and surface profile of their blast and there's just a lot of confusion out there so Paul is not only worked as a field service engineer and manager for CarboLine he's also currently a NACE instructor so he is
1: the authority when it comes to standards like this not just a NACE instructor he is a senior NACE instructor a lead instructor for the NACE courses so
0: when you go to the
1: experts to get trained he is the guy training you when you come to us and ask us a question. This is the man that we talk to when we have a question.
2: I am so humbled.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So commonly we'll get this phone call.
0: How do I apply three mils of coating when I'm going to have a two mil blast profile? Won't I I only really have one mil of coating then? And so what you know we always have to stop everybody, slow them down, and talk about SSPC PA-2. For those of you who don't know, SSPC is the Society for Protective Coatings, and what the, the PA-2 is, what it's commonly known as, is the Procedure for Determining the Conformance to Dry Coating Thickness Requirements. Basically, this is the document, the
1: Bible, if you will, for taking coating thickness. What we're going to look at in this standard, this is the one everybody refers to as PA-2, we're gonna look at some of the differences as to how much over the recommended dry film thickness can we be? How far under it can we be? How does that relate to the surface profile that we started with? How do we measure all of these parts? And some of the background testing standards that we go with, another one that's commonly referred to in this one is ASTM D7091, which is frequently brought up during PA2, and that's the standard for the non-destructive measurement of dry film thickness of non-magnetic coatings applied to ferrous substrate.
0: Well, now that we've bored everybody to death with ASTM names and SBC names, Paul Kennington, see we got two Pauls, now I'm all messed up, yeah. Paul Kennington, can you maybe answer that question? You know, the, the misconception between the profile and your total dry film thickness.
2: Well, first of all, I think we need to start with the basics. If you're using a notch comb rake to measure your wet film thickness, you've already taken out your profile. If you calculate it and you're not using the glug method, but you're using the right amount of thinner, and you know what your wet film should be, your profile should not affect your dry film. Dry film is nothing but a waste loss factor to a contractor because what you do when we measure. When we use a type 1 gauge, we take out the BMR, which negates the profile. And in a type 2 gauge, we'll use a one-point or two-point adjustment because we only measure the actual thickness of the shim over the blasted metal. So consequently, when you get into this type of scenario, you're only being affected by waste loss and not by actual thickness because in both cases, you should always measure above the peaks or the profile of the substrate.
1: So a couple of things that Paul mentioned there during that discussion was one of the topics was BMR. BMR is the base metal reading. And that's actually reading the profile of the steel substrate prior to coating. That's what it looks like, what it feels like after they've done the abrasive blasting. Another thing that he talked about was the notched head comb or a comb gauge for doing liquid measurements of the wet film. He also mentioned my
0: favorite thing which is the glug method that's when a guy you ask him how much he thinned his material and he
1: said oh yeah I don't know, a couple glugs <laughs> <laughs> we've yet to come up with a scientific measurement for what a glug actually is
2: so we know that surface profile is the waste loss factor one of the contingencies in painting others are you don't get everything out of the bucket you don't get everything out of the hose and you may waste some but at the same time that's where you have a waste loss factor. Now once we're above the peaks, we set our gauges to measure the paint above the peaks because that's where true protection comes from. We don't get protection into the peaks, that's adhesion. So that's why the specific profiles are are used. When you think about it, if you have a one and a half mil anchor profile and it's specified to be three mils, you're actually gonna apply more paint than three mils because you're gonna fill the profile for adhesion. So consequently, you should only measure that wet film in accordance to how much thinner you put in it, and you should come out pretty close.
0: One of the other misconceptions that we get about this standard is somebody will call in and they'll say, well, you know, my my coating specification says that I should be 10 to 12 mils, and my I average out at 13, but, you know... PA-2 allows me an 80 to one, you know, that 80 to 120 variance, you know, 13 mils is, is only 120% of that 12 mils, you know, I, I average 13, I, you know, I have some that are 12, but, you know, so, Paul, what do we, what do we tell that guy?
2: Well, in reality, it says 80-120 rule is level 3, and that's the default mode of PA-2, if nothing else is specified, but the reality if it's specified at 13 mil or 12 mils and you come out 13 there is an accuracy in the gauge, a plus or minus minus seven percent first of all you have to consider that but it the 8120 rules only for spot measurements the whole system if it says it's supposed to be 10 to 12 mils you're only allowed 12 mils for your overall average but at the same time you can I guess go into dispute about the accuracy of the gauge according to ASTM D7091 which is what PA2 is based off of. It says that your gauge and your shims or your gauge and your test blocks are guaranteed to be within plus or minus 7%. If the manufacturer does not have a problem in performance then an inspector should not have a problem in performance.
1: So one of the things that Paul mentioned there too was the level 3 standard for coating thickness. (laughs) And what they have in PA2, there's a table, table one actually, and it's called the coating Thickness Restriction Levels. And there's five different levels. And we have level one, two, three is the default level, four and five. And basically what we're looking at is how far above and below the recommendation are you able to be and still be in compliance. Where level one says you can't at all. You've got to meet it exactly above and below. And that is within the ability of your gauges. So level two allows you to be over but not under, and that's 120%. So it gives you a, a plus, you know a little addition there. Level three is plus or minus 20%, so it's the 8120 rule. Level four is a little broader, 8150, and level five is you can be under but you cannot. There is no limit for over.
2: And level five would probably be applicable to more like 100% solids coating, and the manufacturer will probably tell you that. If you were supposed to have 60 and now you have 75, we don't see that to be an issue. As an inspector or as a coating applicator, you should probably get that clarity from the coating manufacturer.
0: Exactly right. So now that we've kind of covered some of the higher arcing rules and you know more of the commonplace
2: situations
0: that we run into in the industry let's talk a little bit more about the nitty-gritty here about how many readings you're supposed to take over how much square footage and things like that paul can you give us a quick rundown of how often we're supposed to measure the dry film thickness
2: well it really depends on how many square feet your tank is that you just coated or your structure that you just coated or your pipe that you just coated And they're all, beams are separate to how often you measure them, pipes are separate, and so is steel. Typically, like steel tank lightings, you do three areas of 100 square feet to start out with, and then after that, you do one every 1,000 square feet after that. But within that you have to take five spot measurements and there's three gauge readings to a spot measurement and then you have, so you're gonna have a total of 15 readings in that area.
1: So what you're saying is an area consists of five spots and each spot consists of at least three gauge readings.
2: Correct.
0: And then it's those individual spot readings that are
2: allowed to
0: be in non-conformance.
2: Right. And you do have the ability to throw out one high and one low, and and you can or you can even ignore it if you go a certain distance and it falls back into conformance. If it doesn't fall into conformance, then PA two says you draw a quadrant, then you go north, south, east, west, and then you do forty five degree angles in between each quadrant until you get back into conformance. And it also says you should use a material like chalk because it's readily removable and doesn't interfere with adhesion.
0: Well, Paul, thank you very much for joining us today to talk about this very misunderstood standard. So now, you know, we we mentioned that you had retired from Carboline and that you're a NACE instructor. What else do you got going on?
2: Well, occasionally I do independent inspections. It's one of those things I do as I teach. So consequently, teaching is one thing, but getting out there in the field and actually performing what you teach is another thing. Sometimes it reminds me how old I am.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, once again, thanks again for joining us. Give us instant credibility to the Carboline Tech Service podcast just by having you on it. We could not be more thrilled. Wish you luck in your travels and in your teaching and in your inspections. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Again, thanks for coming, Paul. You're welcome. Bye bye. And
0: now it's time for our Product Spotlight. Product right. Spotlight. Today we're going to talk about one of Carboline's newer products. A product that was released kind of quietly over the last month or two is the uh, Carbacote 8225.
1: This really is an interesting product, Mm -hmm. and I don't think it's gotten quite the attention it deserved. It's an alkid that's coming in at less than 250 grams per liter. That makes us eligible for all of those OTC states up in the northeast that have that 250 gram
0: limit. Pretty much everybody can use it except for you guys in southern california sorry you're
1: still not allowed to use like paint (laughs) one of the things that this one was designed to go along with is the recent release again fairly quietly of the Carbacoat 153 universal primer that one also came in at under 250 grams per liter again eligible for everybody except for southern california
0: so basically with these two products you have a two coat system that's a uh, single component products that are good for shop applications and OEM applications. The 153 has a corrosion inhibitor in it, just like its comparison product, the 150, and the 8225 really is a good brush and roll outfit. The oils that they used are a little bit longer than than most, and, and it really
1: displays good rolling
0: characteristics even in the sun
1: right and they have a nice mixture between the long and the short oils which still allow it to be a fast dry product it still
0: has a 30 minute dry to touch feature the The dry to handle is a little bit longer than
1: its comparator of the 8215 however the brush and roll characteristics are so much better and it's dry gloss performance it has a much higher gloss with just air dry properties than its predecessor the 8215 did it displays uh pretty
0: good salt fog resistance here we got you know it it passed 500 hours in the astmb 117 salt fog test that that's a pretty standard
1: test and and duration for a single coat Alkyd product. Yeah, and notice that was a one coat. That wasn't with a primer. That was just the 8225 all by itself.
0: At less than three mils. Yeah,
1: that's great performance.
0: One thing I noticed about the 8225 is it really hardens up through its cure. It's an initial dry. You know, it it has a 4B pencil hardness, which is, you know. It's eh, kind of soft. kind of soft on the end. But once it reaches its final cure, as we should all know by now, alkyds take about a month to reach that final cure. Um, Anytime you're not doing a chemical reaction with multiple components, it's going to take longer. But anyway, when you reach that full cure, it it gets up to about a 2H
1: pencil hardness, which isn't bad. Yeah, that's that's really good for a single pack product. We also want to note that we've done some impact resistance, direct impact resistance of 20 inch pounds, and we've got some dry heat testing, which shows up to 250 degrees Fahrenheit for 48 hours. We had no yellowing, no cracking, and no delamination. So it's really letting us know that this is a product that's going to fit into a lot of different market segments.
0: The a 225 also has good adhesion over grit blasted steel as well as smooth steel. Uh, with smooth steel, it got over 500 PSI uh, adhesion pull with the ASTM D4541, which is really good considering there's no surface prep whatsoever.
1: Yeah, and when they improved that surface preparation, we were able to get much higher. We were up in around eight, 900 PSI when we had an abrasive blasted substrate.
0: Just to recap, what we have is a quick dry, low VOC general purpose alkyd. It's lower than 250 grams per liter, which means you can use it everywhere
1: but... But Southern California. And it's RTS, so you have a virtually unlimited choice of colors. It's a high gloss finish, which has got
0: decent abrasion, adhesion, and corrosion protection properties. All in a one-coat product. We'd like to thank you for listening to another episode of the Carboline Tech Service Podcast. Just remember, this is for you, and we do want to hear from you. So we've heard from some of you now that it's been out there for a little bit, and we're getting good feedback, and we
1: really appreciate that, guys. But go ahead. You can contact us at technicalservice@carboline.com. Put podcasts in the subject line, and we'll get you into a future episode. Also, we are on Twitter. I don't know if any of you guys are on Twitter. We are at Carbaline Tech. You can hit us up. You can direct message us. And we can respond to you immediately, or we can log that information to include in future episodes.
0: Basically what we wanted to do with this Twitter account was give you guys yet another way to get directly a hold of us here in tech service. You know, if you're on a job site and you just need a quick answer, your customer needs a quick answer, or if you just want to follow and see what information we'll be putting out there, we'll be reminding you of this podcast and sending out information about the products that we talk about in the podcast. It's just another tool for you to be able to help get a hold of tech service whenever you need us. So I I think we made a decision between the last episode and this episode that the Steve Harrison Carboline song is too good not to play as frequently as possible. So until somebody tells us to quit playing it, we're going to keep doing it. So we're going to close out every episode with Who Put the Line in Carboline? And here it goes. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in. Who
2: put the line in Carboline? Who put the line